you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Amen, amen. It's so good to spend this day with all of you who are here with us in person. And those of you who are joining online, happy Easter. He is risen. You could write, he is risen indeed. I'm sure you will. Uh, We're so glad that no matter where you are listening, where you're partaking in our service today, we're so thankful to have this time with you. Recognizing that as we, those of us who... Uh, I know some of you are on different phases of your, of your faith journey. Maybe you're here because it's tradition and, and you don't necessarily walk with God. That's not where you're at right now. But just know, if that's you, we are so glad that you are here with us today. We honor you. We thank you for spending some time with us today as we celebrate Easter. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, this is a day that changes the outlook of every day. This is a day that we celebrate the resurrection and we get to lift up our voice as Pomerado Christian Church. We lift up our voice and we join the chorus of voices all across this world celebrating the beauty, the power, and the amazing nature of the gospel. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death, which we discussed on Friday. But then he rose to new life and invites us into eternal life. And so we are so grateful, no matter where you are in your faith journey, thank you for spending this time with us. We honor you. We thank you. We're grateful to be together. Now, um, if we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I would love an opportunity to meet you after the service. Um, Hopefully some of you got some food in the brunch. Uh, It was delicious. Can we give a round of applause to the team that helped put that together? And all the volunteers who brought the food. So we're very, very grateful. With that said, this is a day of celebration. But what I wanna do before we unpack kind of where we're gonna be in our service today, where our direction of our message will be, what I wanna do is almost take us back a few nights for those of us who were here for our Good Friday service. That in our Good Friday service, we read, we just, we didn't have a message. We just read through John 18 and John 19, the story of the crucifixion. And we had the service would get progressively darker in order to, kind of focus in our thoughts in this, this night, that night of mourning, that night of, of sadness, of, res, of recognizing Jesus' death and what it means. And as Thomas mentioned in our, in earlier in the prayer, we're so grateful that Good Friday isn't the end of the story, but we would be remiss to not acknowledge that Good Friday is a very real part of all of our stories that we look around the world today and there are several countless reasons for us to be sorrowful. There's countless relationships that are broken. There are countless gaps in regards to people who used to be close and now no longer are. There are countless injustices, countless wars and rumors of wars. There are countless of issues that are happening all across our world and divisions and disparity and discouragement. And if Good Friday was the end of the story, then friends, we would just be sitting in the darkness of that day. But Good Friday is not the end of the story. 
that some of you are coming into this service and we might be coming in with, with mourning and grief over something. We're coming in sad because of a loss, because of a heartache, because of a pain. What does the resurrection have to say about that? Some of us are coming in with fear that we look around our world and we are fearful for our, our families, for our country, for our world. What does the resurrection have to tell us about that? Some of us come in with doubts. We think if God is really a good God, then how can he let so many bad things happen? If God is who he says he is, then why are we experiencing this heartache, this pain, this difficulty, whatever it may be? What does the resurrection have to say about our doubts? So we're going to unpack together, as we went through John 18 through 19 on Good Friday, we're going to unpack John 20 today, but the main point that I want all of you to hear is the fact that you are deeply loved by God. You are loved by him. You are prayed for by us, by our church, by our staff. You are cared for before you ever showed up on a Sunday morning or turned on your screen this morning. You are loved by us, but even more so by God who knew you and formed you and breathed life into you and knows the, how tall you will be, knows the hairs on your head, knows the days of your life, knows so much more about you than you could ever fathom and loves you more than you could ever imagine. So if you learned that today, or if you were reminded of that today, well then this has been a happy Easter. But what I want to encourage as we enter into the passage today is that we live in a Good Friday world with suffering and darkness and difficulty and pain and heartache. But friends, we worship an Easter Sunday God, the kind of God who can take the darkest moment in all of history on Good Friday and just a few days later can make it the linchpin of all of creation and the most amazing day in all of our lives. The one who could take the habits, the hurts, the difficulties that we experience and can make them into something beautiful for his purpose. Not that we downplay the heartache, but that we can acknowledge God working in our lives to even make bad things good. Broken things made new. Things that are falling apart to be restored. That we could go from death to life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who hears my voice this morning, wherever they are. Wherever they are geographically or physically, if they're in the room or watching online from somewhere. And wherever they are relationally to you, God, I pray that you would work in a way that only you can. That you would speak in a way that only you can. That I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us that we would be overwhelmed with your love rather than being overwhelmed with the heartache around us. Because your Easter story, the resurrection story, speaks into our mourning, our fear, and our doubts. Speak to us now, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 20. If you brought a Bible with you, that's awesome. If you have your phone, you have the Bible app, that's awesome. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's awesome. We have Bibles in the seats in front of you. We're just glad that we could follow along in the passage together. And so we're going to be, John chapter 20 is the tomb, Jesus is laid in the tomb. 
And we start the story. We're not going to read the first 10 verses or so, but what we're going to summarize is that Mary Magdalene is the person we focus on in this first section of John chapter 20. She was a woman that was um, cured or, or exercised demons, that Jesus had removed demons from her life earlier in her life. And she has been a faithful follower of his ever since. We see that she and some other women, as we'll see in the other versions, the other Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about many women came. But in this one, we focus in on Mary because the gospel of John is a very personal gospel. It's, it's one that interacts because it's written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of his very closest friends, John. And so with that closeness, we zoom in on Mary a little bit because she shows up and she finds out that Jesus is gone. And she runs and she tells Peter and the other disciples, Peter and John, they run over to the tomb to see if it's true because his body was taken away. John, the one who wrote this gospel, talks about how he outran Peter, but he's too humble to say it that exact way. But he, he beats Peter there. Peter comes in and they look in and they see you know, the, the, the grave clothes weren't just taken with the body. It's, it's not like someone just grabs the whole body. Jesus' body wasn't stolen. The grave clothes were left at the head and the feet as if someone left. But what happened? They didn't understand. So they end up standing there. Now, Mary, we're going to jump into this part because the resurrection, we talk about coming into grief, mourning, sadness. That Good Friday is sad. It's hard. It's not good for Jesus, but it was good for us. And yet, as we all know, when there's a trauma or a heartache or a pain that we have, often it's not just the day that it happens that's the hardest. It's the next day when you realize this is my new reality. Saturday, friends, is a dark day in the Gospels. We don't hear much about it, but it's the day in which all of the hopes and dreams when they saw their Lord, the disciples had, they saw their Lord brutally, brutally slain. And then they wake up not to a, a day of hope, but a day of mourning. And they show up and then Sunday comes and because there was Passover and the Sabbath on Friday, they couldn't finish, the women couldn't finish caring for his body. So they come first thing on Sunday morning. And this is what we see in verse 11. Because the resurrection moves us from mourning to joy. And let's see how we see that in the story of Mary. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Four times in those few verses, we see Mary was crying. She was weeping. The angel and Jesus, she didn't know it was Jesus at the time yet, but they both were like, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you sad? And Jesus goes so far as to say, who are you looking for? And 
we see that, again, Jesus had rescued her, saved her from her, the, the difficulties she's had in her life. And so she was so longing to honor him that she, he had saved her life, and she just wanted to honor his life by letting him be prepared for burial properly because he had to get rushed into the tomb because of the Sabbath coming. And she's in such pain and heartache. Why are you weeping? Friends, if I were to ask you, what is it in your life? Friends, why are you weeping? What pain are you walking through? What pain do you have a mask on that you could come to a church service, or you could go about your day, and you could pretend that everything's okay, but inside, that grief, it doesn't just, it's not just a, a jump in the water that is a one-time splash, it's a billow of waves that come unexpectedly. That reminder of things of a lost loved one that you didn't expect, and you feel like you're falling face flat on the beach again because the wave struck you and knocked you down. It's this grief, it's this mourning that she's saying, I couldn't even finish preparing him. His life was the one that saved mine, and yet I can't even give him the honor he's due, and now he's gone, someone took him. Friends, why are you weeping? What wound is it? What heartache, what sadness? Because what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to say that the moment you believe in Jesus that everything works out perfectly all the time. Because it's not true, and I would be remiss to, be, to mislead in thinking that we follow Jesus, everything's a fairy tale. It's not. Life is hard. There are ups and downs, twists and turns, heartaches and difficulty. The beauty of the Easter story is not that, that, it's, that we're never going to experience sadness. It's that Jesus has experienced incredible pain, and he's with us. It's the fact that we weep on Good Friday, but it's through the depths of our weeping on Friday that we can lift up our depths of our praise and worship on Sunday. It's that we live in a Good Friday world, but we worship an Easter Sunday God. There's a story in Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King. There's a, a time near the end in which we see how mourning and, and sadness can move in deeper into joy. How do we move from mourning, from sadness? What does the resurrection teach us that allows us to get through and to experience joy when our world seems so dark and when Saturday that God is silent seems so long, how do we still experience the joy of Sunday? See, in the story, we, we see it's at the very, near the very end. And so let's go to the next slide. I'm going to go over here because my eyes aren't good enough to read it over there. But it's at the end of the story and it says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Here's the line, friends. Is everything sad going to come untrue? A great shadow, or excuse me, what's happened in the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. And some of us, friends, are in a place where we feel like we haven't laughed or heard the sound of laughter for days upon days without count. Because we're grieving and we try to do our best, but sometimes we still feel like we're at our worst. 
But the beauty of the resurrection story is not that we diminish sadness. We don't say, stop being sad. Jesus, when he showed up, wasn't like, stop crying. I'm right here. He invites into the conversation to unpack, why are you sad? I know that sometimes as parents, when when our kids have tantrums, we want to say things like, just stop crying. Everything's fine. And the next time that works will be the first time that works. (laughs) But it's sitting in this moment of why are we crying? Jesus wept too. Jesus had heartache too. Jesus loved his friend Lazarus, and when he died, he waited a while to come back, and he wept with Mary, different Mary. See, When he saw the sheep that were scattered without a shepherd over Jerusalem, he weeps and he prays. See, he knows what it's like to weep, which makes it all the more beautiful that he shows us how to have joy in the midst of it. We don't downplay our sadness, but as we work through it, we realize God is there with us in it. And only God can take that which is the saddest moment in all of history and make it the gladdest. In fact, Susan Coolidge says it this way, Earth's saddest day and gladdest day were just three days apart. We live in a Good Friday world, but we worship an Easter Sunday God. It's not just Mary that we want to take a a snapshot of on this day. We also want to take a look at the disciples, because again, some of you are in your sadness, and, and you're living in that, and you're experiencing that, and I want to sit there with you and just say it's okay to reach out to God in your sadness, that if you look through the Psalms, you can... Open up the book of Psalms at any time and you will see that God understands all of our emotions and can handle all of our sadness, all of our anger, all of our discontent. He's there with us. And that's why I love that the Psalms are in our scripture so we can see that. But some of us are here today and we're not necessarily in that moment of sadness where we haven't heard laughter for, or merriment for days without end. We, we're in a place of fear. The kind of fear that we don't even know what to say about. We're we're worried about something. We're fearful of something. The control around us, we're losing. We're more aware that we have less control of things in our lives. And the resurrection can speak into our fear. Not Not to just say, okay, don't be afraid. But to move us from fear to peace. We see this in John chapter 20 as a few verses later when he meets the disciples. We're going to just read the first few parts here, and then, and then we'll take a break as we share a story. But on the evening, this is verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week. So this is the night that Jesus rose from the dead that morning. That night, here's what happens. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Let's stop there for a moment. The disciples had seen Jesus work miracles. They'd seen Jesus be able to exorcise demons. They've seen Jesus calm the storm. They've seen Jesus give sight to the blind, words to the mute, hearing to the deaf. They've seen him do incredible, miraculous, amazing things. And they had followed him with everything. And yet, when Jesus died on Good Friday, their hopes had died. And their courage had waned. And their fear had overcome. It says they had locked the door for fear of the Jews, the Jewish leaders who knew who the disciples were, knew that they were with Jesus. 
And now that in the Jewish leader's mind, now that the, the shepherd, now that Jesus was gone, the sheep would scatter and they would go and pursue them. That they were fearful uh, for their lives. Now, I'm going to bring up a couple examples of fear. The first one is, hey, you know, have you ever felt fearful for your life? And this is going to be a, a very lighthearted one, which your thought is, how can you lightheartedly fear for your life? Um, I'll show you. So um, in November of 2003, a few roommates of mine here when we were at UC San Diego decided that um, as... 19-year-olds do, apparently, that we were going to go skydiving. Um, and we ended up going to Hamul out in East County. This was right after the fires, if you remember. And so as we were, like, coming down, like, as we're flying up on the plane, we look, and it just area was scorched. It was just a very surreal sight. Um, first off, forgive the hair. It was a time. It was a thing that I did at times. Um, and I was there in this picture because I wanted to, I paid a little extra so that someone would record the, the fact that I jumped out of a plane because I thought to myself, I want to be able to prove it sometime, right? And also I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to pay for put myself in potential peril, I may as well go all the way. And so uh, we ended up getting the recording of it. And so these are different still shots from it. And so this first one is like, the guy's like, oh, you know, the videographer was just saying, oh, like, say hi. I'm like, oh, hi. And, um, and I look back and you see me like looking here. And then when I turned back, I was not the first one of my roommates to go. I was like second or third. And so as I turn back, I see my roommate disappear from the door. And in this moment, it's like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? And, and I remember, you know, because I want to look tough and because I had really cool hair, I wanted to make sure that no one knew uh, that I was afraid. But what ends up happening is, you know, you kind of, the, there's a guy on my back right there um, because they very wisely, of course, recognize that when it's your first time jumping out of a plane, you should have someone who's jumped out of a plane with you. And so uh, that man's name behind me is named Christian. I just gave my life to the Lord. I'm like, God, I'm a Christian. His name is Christian. I feel like we're here. This is good. And so I look back, and then we make our way to the edge of the plane. And Christian's right there. And I'm out there and I'm smiling because otherwise I'd be crying. And so we, I'm about to jump out. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, Christian, before we jumped, it was, he had said that he'd done like up to a dozen jumps in a day before. He had done this for years. And it's one of those, like, even if you haven't gone skydiving, but if you go on a roller coaster and you think, okay, other people have survived what I'm about to partake in, right? Like, this is okay. And it was encouraging to me because I was I'm jumping out of a plane in this moment. I'm afraid for my life. I'm like, well, at least I know someone who's been there has my back. And so as we jump out of the plane, which is just my glorious face in this next one, um, and we're jumping out. You can see the tail. That was after kind of the first jump. And then we'll go to the, the, fourth, the fourth picture, the final one. This one might be a little hard to see because of the lightness, because it wasn't in a studio. But... Um, uh, I opened my mouth right off the back. So I was like, ah, like I'm cool. And immediately got dry mouth because all the air just took out all of that. And then I'm like trying to swallow. But then I'm like going like this. And because I'm not smiling all the way, like my, my cheeks started to do a very unique wave maneuver that um, it's, it's a sight to behold. I have the video. I'm not showing it now, but sometimes. So I'm jumping out and I'm like, there's fear. But the fear gave way to peace right about this moment. Why? Because someone who had been there had my back. Christian knew what he was doing. He knew when it was, the altimeter said to jump. He knew when to pull the ripcord. 
He knew what it was. And so someone in the midst of our fear, sometimes we pray for courage. We want to be able to face our fear. But you know what we need before we need courage? is peace. Because some of us, maybe you've not jumped out of a plane. Maybe you've not been on a roller coaster that's caused fear. But maybe for you in a much more, I'm, I'm switching gears now to be a little bit more serious. Maybe some of you have had a relationship or something go on where you were fearful that someone was going to harm you. That maybe it was an ex or maybe it was a situation in which you felt unsafe. The kind of fear that stays locked behind in locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders is the same kind of fear that anytime you have, you're afraid that someone might show up at your house, so every time you hear a dog bark, you think, is this the person that's showing up? It's a kind of fear that you have cameras around your house, and so every time you hear a noise or something, you check to make sure that it's not that person. The kind of fear that makes you feel like you're going crazy in your own mind because you perceive everything as a threat, and so once you perceive everything as a threat, it feels like you can't even get out of bed. The kind of fear that keeps you behind locked doors because someone's not coming after you. Maybe you've had that experience. And so what does Jesus do to meet us in our fear? How do we move from fear, not even to courage yet, but just to peace? Because when you're in your mind and everything's a threat, your mind knows no peace. And you wake up in the middle of the night and you're stressed. See, here's how Jesus meets the disciples in this moment. He says that the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Then Jesus came and stood among them. He doesn't come from afar and just say, feel better. He stands among us in our fear. And he said, peace be with you. Peace does not just mean the absence of conflict, that this word is steeped in history, that it means more than just, hey, just get over it. Or, hey, just, have, don't, just don't fight anymore. When we have kids who argue, you, we kind of want a false peace, the kind of peace that just says, just go to different rooms and don't talk anymore. But this is the kind of peace that is the kind of peace that permeates. It means like well-being. It means there's harmony in your life. It means that everything is at well, that there is your, it is well with your soul. The kind of peace that is not superficial, but it goes a few levels deeper. He says, peace be with you. He continues on, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, they needed to have courage to share the gospel after his life, death, and his resurrection. They needed to have courage to start the church and to be disciples who would preach his good news through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But before they had courage, they needed peace. They needed to know that if they feared death or being beaten or being martyred, they had to have the peace that someone who's been there before had their back. But Jesus says, look at my wounds. See my side. Our God, our Easter Sunday God, is not one who's pristine without heartaches or blemishes. It's one who's been scarred. And through his wounds, through his scars, we are healed. So some of you come in here, we're mourning, we're sad, we're struggling. 
The resurrection shows us that there can be joy on the other side of that. Some of us come in here with fear and we're afraid of things. And the resurrection, the Easter, shows us that God can take that which causes us fear and can give us peace and exchange that instead. And some of us come in here today and we, we're, not, we're not sad necessarily. We're not necessarily scared, but we are here with our doubts. We, we, we think to ourselves intellectually, you know, what you're saying may sound good and may sound comforting, but, but I'm struggling with the fact if, if I'm in your shoes, you say, but how can I believe that the resurrection is true? How can I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? How can I believe these things? Because we know that we trust in the, God's word that is that it is living, it is active, it is God-breathed. We believe that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by dozens of authors over thousands of years to tell the story of a God who loves his people so much that he will relentlessly pursue them and so they can have a right relationship with him. And so we believe that, but you might say, but I mean, that, that's a fairy tale. It's not real. So if you're in that place, how do we approach it? How do doubts... Get, get answered through the resurrection. What does that look like? Because if we look at ancient manuscripts, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but for some of us that we say, listen, I've got some doubts that the Bible really is what it says it is, we have more ancient manuscripts that reflect what these words actually say than any other piece of ancient literature by a long shot. So we would look at like Homer's Iliad, and we would say, oh, that's like a really good quality amount of manuscripts to prove that the version we have today is the same quality as it was back when it was written thousands of years ago. And we have like three times as many manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of the scripture than Iliad. So if we throw out the Bible as saying what it says it is, then we have to throw out any piece of ancient literature. So what does that mean for us? That if God is who he says he is, he did what he said he would do, he came back just as he said he would, how does Jesus meet us in our doubt? Does he tell us to stop doubting? Or does he graciously meet us in those doubts? The resurrection moves us from doubt to faith. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, we give Thomas the, the name Doubting Thomas because of this passage. And really, we see in John 11, just a, just a little bit earlier, that he was willing to go to Jerusalem and to die with Jesus. It's not like he didn't have faith. But he wanted to make sure that who he had his faith in was really what happened was what really happened. And so he wanted to be proven right or proven wrong. Like he wanted to see Jesus. And we don't know where he was that first night, but he's here a week later. And he says, unless I see it. And we're in a culture that we really value what we can see. Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not. It's okay for us to be able to look at reason. And because the dynamic is, is the thought can be that if you believe in Jesus, or you believe in the Bible, you believe in God, you must have checked your intellect at the door. And there's, a, there's an intellectual superiority that comes from people think, well, I'm too wise to believe. And some of us are in that boat right now. So I'm, I'm coming alongside you saying, I get that that is a real struggle people have. And for those of us who already know and love Jesus and we follow his word, we know 
But the Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we live in this tension of walking by faith and not by sight. And yet I recognize that there are many of us here like, yeah, but I want to see. I need to see the wounds. I need to see that Jesus can make a difference in my life. I need to see that Jesus can make a difference in the life of others who follow him. That I need to see before I can believe. How does Jesus meet Thomas? Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, notice they still were locked. They hadn't gone out and preached the gospel yet. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. This is one of the most powerful declarations of faith, of saying that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He is the Lord, and he is God. And Thomas, who was doubting a week before, is now declaring a week later. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. That's okay. We can ask for God to show up, and he can reveal things to us, and we can believe because we've seen him. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we wait for all the evidence to make a leap of faith, then it's no longer a leap of faith. It's something that we're sure of. But friends, we can be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see and walk by faith and not by sight. So I want to give a a very quick illustration about, um, about... the resurrection, and how can we know that it really happened? And this comes from uh, the story of uh, Chuck Colson, who was, uh, there's a picture of him from the New York Times, that he was one of the administrators on staff uh, with Nixon during Watergate, and, and he ended up going, so let's go to the next picture, uh, and he was the one right in the very center of that picture, see Charles Colson, and in prison, after going to jail for Watergate, he came to know Jesus. He, had a, he found his faith, he, he became a believer, And he wrote these words in regards to how can we know that the resurrection really happened? How can we know that there really can be someone who doubts and goes to belief? And here's what he says as a quotation I want to read from the screen. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men, the disciples, testified that they've seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So we know through historical facts the resurrection happened. And we know in the testimony of his apostles that they were fearful in John 20, but by Acts 2 and Pentecost, a few weeks later, he, they were proclaiming boldly in the streets of Jerusalem. We know that they laid down their lives because they had seen Jesus. They had felt his wounds. They had seen his side. They knew who he was. And all of them, including Thomas, laid down their lives for, his faith, for their faith in him. See, the resurrection can help us move from mourning to joy, fear to peace, and from doubt to belief.
Now, I only have a few minutes left with us today, and so um, all the, you, might, you might be sitting in any of those moments of mourning, of fear, of doubt. All of you are welcome wherever you are in your journey. Please know, we are, again, we are so grateful you're here with us. But I also want to recognize and acknowledge the, the, the reality of the matter, that there are many of us that come to church on Easter that we don't come other times of the year. And you're always welcome, always invited. But the reality is that not everyone comes every week. And so what I want to take these last few moments together that we have and to unpack what is the gospel, what is the story of salvation, what is it about the resurrection that moves us from death to life? Moves us from death to life. Because at the end of, the, of this chapter, John tells us why he wrote this book. It says, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He doesn't write this book so that we can become more knowledgeable about a really great historical figure. He doesn't write this book so that we can feel better about ourselves when things are tough. He doesn't write this book just so that we can have a nice, um, a nice story, a nice fairy tale that we can read to our kids. He writes the book of John, and the whole Bible as extrapolated through that is written that we may believe and have life in the name of Jesus. And so... This is what I want to share with you. See, uh, this past weekend, I mentioned that um, while I was here, Steph and the girls uh, were visiting um, Steph's parents, my in-laws, up in Camarillo. And so I was here for Palm Sunday service, and they were um, up at my in-laws' church up there. And recently, we had just started as a family, we started reading a very popular um, book series. And it's one of those where... The girls, like Shayla, knew someone in her class that had read it as well. And they, were, you know, they would try to give like, oh, you read it? And like, oh, have you gotten to this part yet? Or, oh, did you know that this happens? And I told Shayla, I was like, honey, like, I don't want you to have any spoilers. Like, like just let them know, hey, my, my, we're reading it together. I don't want to hear anything. And so I'm like, so she tries to do that, and that's fine. Then last week, uh, the pastor who was preaching at their church um, goes and he's starting to make connections about Acts 17 and the idea about how we see glimpses of the gospel all throughout in our culture in the same way that we mentioned a few months ago that Paul could see, oh, an unknown God, there's a connection there that I can show you the gospel of Jesus by this connecting point. So the pastor's talking about how there are movies and there are books and there are stories that show us the power of the gospel. And he says, and so what about in this specific series where the main character dies and comes back to life? And my girls were in the service. And so Elise, our youngest, just goes, Daddy's not going to like that he told us that. <laughs> and she was right. So... Um, but just acknowledging that, you know, I don't, I don't want spoilers when I, I'm about to embark on a story. But Shaylin, she said, well, you know, now that we know kind of the biggest plot thing that happens, you know, would it be good for us to still read the books? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We can start back up again. There's a T-shirt or there's this picture online that talks about it. It's just a T-shirt of spoilers 
that come for different movies. And it's just like one line that'll say something that if you know the movie, it'll completely ruin it for anyone who doesn't know. So I'm not going to show it on the screen because I care about you. But <laughs> what I want to acknowledge is that, friends, some of you are just coming into hearing about Jesus and hearing about it. And so let me share a spoiler with you. Jesus wins. The end of the story is that Jesus, yes, he had a horrible death. He lived a perfect life. He died an awful death. But the end of the story isn't Good Friday. On Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And so you could show up, and this could be your first time hearing it, and you could think, well, now the story's ruined for me. No, 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 the story is just beginning. That just like Shailen said, Daddy, should we, you know, now that we know how the story ends, should we still read the books? Yeah, absolutely. Now that you know that Jesus comes back to life and invites us all to eternal life through relationship with him, I'd still encourage you to read the book. Dive into God's word because the story is worth knowing. So what is the story? Four quick steps. If I have four minutes to share the gospel with anyone who may not hear it any other time throughout the year, let me share it with you now. The story of salvation, I'm going to spoil it for you and it's going to be the best spoil ever. So the idea that first, God loves us. That creation was good. We live in a Good Friday world. It was not meant to be riddled with brokenness and disease and disaster. It was not meant to be filled with disappointment and discouragement and heartache. It was meant for us to be in a right relationship with God in a way that we can't even fathom now. But we were created good to be a, have a right relationship with him. We, he looked upon creation and said it is good. He looked upon women and said it was very good. So take that with you, ladies. You're the best. And so then we blew it. No, you and I weren't there. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They chose the allure and the temptation of making themselves the leaders of their own lives to be the one who could determine right and wrong from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They chose that, and friends, you and I make that choice every day to determine what's right and wrong and to do what we want, to put ourselves on the throne rather than putting God there, to make ourselves the center of our lives rather than Jesus. We blow it every day. But the spoiler is that Jesus paid for it. He looked at all your debt and said, it's cleared. It's taken care of. He looked at all your sins, past, present, future, and said, I'm going to cover that. He looked at all of our sins for all of the people throughout all of eternity. And greater love has no one than this, than Jesus laid down his life for his friends. That while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us, that he died for us. That he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We cannot earn it. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. We can't earn it. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. We can't lose it. Why? Because it's a gift that has been paid for in full. And if that was the end of the story, and some of us will stay there. We say, oh, I know all that to be true. But the number four is the most important part. Why? Because have you ever been, you ever given a gift to someone and then you end up going and you see it's like in the back of a closet somewhere? Or someone gave you a gift and then you say, oh, we better put that up because they're coming over and I need to look like I've used this. In order to truly receive the gift... In order for the gift to have truly been received, it has to be something that we make that decision. Jesus gave the gift of his life. Many of us have received it. But there are some where that present is 
sitting underneath the Christmas tree waiting to be opened. It's the present that is waiting to be received by you. The giver's already paid for it. It's already been wrapped up. The problem is the wrapping paper got left in the tomb and he's just here waiting to welcome you. Why? Because you are loved by God more than you can know. You, with all your hurts, all your struggles, all the things you do, all the things you keep doing when you say you'll never do them again. You who have been so far gone that you say, Pastor, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't, want, you wouldn't have any idea. And you're right, I don't and I don't need to because God does and he still does love you. So friends, some of you know that God loves you. Some of you recognize we've all blown it. Some of you may even recognize that Jesus paid for it, but would you receive it today? Would this be the day where you join your voice in the chorus of voices worshiping God on this resurrection day? Because as Craig Lounsborough says, Easter's a time when God turns the inevitability of death into the invincibility of life. Death is not the end of our story. It's part of it. Good Friday's part of our world. But friends, we live in a Good Friday world, but we worship an Easter Sunday God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here with us today. Again, whether here is live in person, live online, or watching it later. God, I pray that you would speak to each of your people, that each of the people you hear that have created and formed and shaped, only you know how to speak the language to their hearts that only they can understand. May God, I pray that each person would have had a moment throughout this day where they know, God, you are speaking to me. Their heart quickens a little bit. They start to shift uncomfortably maybe a little bit. Or maybe they just beam with joy of what you've done in their lives a little bit. God, I pray that for those of us who are in mourning or in grief, that we would experience the joy and laughter of following you and knowing that death is dead and that we have eternal life. I pray those of us who are afraid that we would feel your peace, that it is well with our souls because we know that someone who's gone through death and back has our back. And God, may we, those of us who have doubts, may we be able to see with our eyes how you are working and then have faith and believe in what you're doing. Move us, Lord, from death to eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.